I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the prophet Jeremiah, uh, sorry, not Jeremiah, Isaiah. Isaiah. Our text this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. But I want to read a little bit more than that, just to bring verse 2 into the flow of the verses prior. So we're going to start at chapter 8, verse 11. But before I read, just a reminder of the fact that we have been moving through the prophecies in the prophet Isaiah concerning the Messiah to come. These uh, passages are used in Handel's great uh, piece of music, Messiah. And uh, I want to just refresh your memory on some of, the, some of the verses. So before we read our text for this morning, here are some of the verses we've been considering over the last several Sundays. Isaiah 40, 1 and 2, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended and that her iniquity is pardoned and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And then farther on, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You might be even hearing those words sung uh, by the chorus in the Messiah. Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. Isaiah 49, 40, uh, verse 9. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so then, uh, having looked at these verses that I just read. We come now to Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, our text, as I mentioned, is verse 2, but beginning in chapter 8, verse 11, hear the word of God. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. 
and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it, they shall fall and be broken, they shall be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching, to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land, greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward and they shall look to the earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they will be thrust into thick darkness but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them, as light shone. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, oh, would you who spoke and the world came into existence, oh, you who have spoken in your word by your Holy Spirit through your prophets and apostles, O you who continue to break into the darkness of this world with that light which you have revealed, would you break into our darkness and would you reveal yourself in your word this day? For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The people who are described in chapter 8 are people who are experiencing what the prophet refers to as anguish and uncertainty and confusion about their future. There were movements politically. There were kingdoms that were rising. And Jerusalem was as a piece of fruit that ripens, being ripened, along with Judah for judgment, and God was preparing nations to be the instruments of that judgment. 
You can imagine what it must have been like for the people of Israel settled throughout the towns of the land of Israel, both to the north and in the southern kingdom of Judah, to have heard rumors. They didn't have email. They didn't have the internet. And news didn't spread quite so rapidly. But they would hear reports. And it would be unsettling. And the question would be, what will we do when the life that we know now crumbles and falls apart, when the economy that we are dependent upon in order for us to eat and to carry on our daily lives and to exist falls and crumbles to the ground, what will we do? And the people of Israel felt themselves to be in very uncertain times and were fearful. And so the prophet Isaiah speaks. The Lord comes to the prophet Isaiah and says to him, do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear. And he goes on to describe the behavior of those who live in darkness. And I want to just uh, organize what I want to say this morning under three headings. And the first is, what is it to walk as the people of Israel live, to be in darkness? And what is it, secondly, to hear a surprising announcement concerning a light? And then thirdly, how is it that we can become sons and daughters of light. Those are the three major headings that I'd like for us to consider this morning. So first of all, what is this darkness that is spoken of in verse 2? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them a light has dawned. It is upon these particular people, people whose lives were filled with so many fears and difficulties and worries about the future. These who lived in darkness, the prophet says, have seen a great light. Notice that's past tense. He says they've seen it. Well, he speaks about it as though it has already happened, and yet it still lay in the future. This light would, be come, would, would, would come in the future, but the prophet, to the prophet's mind, it is as though it has already happened. They have seen a great light. So when we consider darkness, remember that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, you know, let there be light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And here, the prophet Isaiah says 
that there is a time coming when another light will be spoken into existence, when, when light will dawn again in a new creation. The, the apostle uh, John speaks of it in John chapter 1, and John chapter 1 is very much modeled after Genesis chapter 1. The true light, which gives light to everyone, John says, was coming into the world. This expectation of those whose lives were filled with uncertainty and fears of all kinds, this expectation of a light that is coming into the world. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali were spoken of, are spoken of in verse 1 of chapter 9 as being uh, those who not only lived in gloom and anguish, but they were brought into contempt. And it says, the, in the, but in the latter time, he will make that area glorious. By the, the, the area, by the way of the sea, he will make it glorious. The land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And so as you think about, about uh, how Isaiah is picturing a world dwelling in darkness, he focuses it in on a particular geographical region in the Holy Land, the, the region around the Sea of Galilee, which is where Zebulun and Naphtali, the, the tribes of Israel, these particular tribes of Israel were. And they were at some distance from Jerusalem, the capital. They were at some distance from the temple and all that went with that, uh, the institutions of Israel. These people lived on the outer fringes of the kingdom of Israel, closest to their enemies, Syria to the north. Syria constantly invading the northern kingdom of Israel. Whenever they did, you can imagine these people's lives was turned into turmoil, much like the people of Ukraine today. Their land is invaded. Their world is disrupted. And thus the fears of invasion for those who live near the enemies of Israel. And uh, we in the United States are blessed because we live, we are a, a continental nation. We span from one side to the other. And we don't have powerful enemies that are near us. And that has been a reason for much of the peace that the United States as a country has enjoyed. But that is not the case in most countries. And so we see this reference to the land of Galilee as being held in contempt. Even in Jesus' day, it was the case that Nathaniel, remember what Nathaniel said to Philip when he told, when uh, he, he, he uh, heard from Philip about the, the one that they thought was the Messiah, that they had just met him. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth is one of those towns up around the Sea of Galilee. So to walk then in darkness is a, a reference to this region of the country that was filled with so much turmoil and not much good seemed to ever come from that part of the country. Jerusalem, the temple, the capital, that's where everything is happening. But God reverses it here. And he says, the land by Galilee will be made glorious. 
But what is it to walk in darkness? I want to mention just a couple things that, are, that we can detect from chapter, chapter 8, the verses that we read. First of all, the fear of man. Notice in verse, uh, in the verse that I referred to earlier, verse 12, don't call conspiracy all that the people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, but do not be in dread. And so the people who lived in this region were in constant fear, in constant dread. But here the prophet tells them, instead, believe that God is greater than men. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. The godly are to fear God more than men. And yet, these ones who lived in this region feared greatly for their lives and were fearful of conspiracies against them. And then we notice as well that not only are they fearful, but uh, they believe that God, if he exists, is a problem. Notice verse 14, and he will become a sanctuary, a sanctuary to some, but a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so God uh, is a problem. God uh, in his ways and what he does and the, and the appearance of his either helping us in our trouble or not helping us, it, it's a difficulty for them. They stumble over the ways of God. He becomes a rock of stumbling to both house, houses. But another thing that we notice about uh, those who walk in darkness not only is it that their lives are filled with fear, not only does God himself be, is, is he a problem for them, but they walk according to their own light and their own reason. Notice in verses 16 and following uh, that uh, the prophet says, refers to the testimony. Seal up the testimony and the teaching among the disciples. And uh, he refers to waiting for the Lord. This is the godly response in these circumstances. To refer oneself to the word of God, to seal up the teaching, to meditate upon what God has revealed. But then the question uh, that comes, and when they say, verse 19, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the, li the living to the teaching and to the testimony? And so another mark of living in darkness is that they are completely dependent upon a world that is enclosed within human resources, human reason, human astrology, human attempts to figure out the future and to go to necromancers and to inquire of mediums. This is a way of expressing that enclosed mind, the mind that is enclosed upon itself and dependent upon its own light, its own reasoning ability to try to figure out to look to the heavens above and figure out what is going to happen in my life, to look to the earth to see if the earth has something that can help me in my uncertainty. And the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Isaiah says, 
And they looked to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into darkness. And so we come then to consider whether or not any of these traits are true of us. We do tend to be self-reliant. We tend to depend upon our own thoughts. We tend to think that we can figure things out. And we have confidence that what we see and what we know is true. And we rely upon our own thinking. But do we really ask those larger questions? Do we ask the question, who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? And here's the question, really, that this passage focuses on. Where do I get knowledge that I can trust and rely upon? How can I know what is going to happen? How can I know what is true and what is not? Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 35, Be careful lest the light that is in you be darkness. And what he's saying there is, that light that is in you, that way of thinking that is natural to you, it's darkness. To live in darkness is to be reliant upon your own thoughts, to be reliant upon your own reasoning abilities. One of the signs that you're walking in darkness is that you are confident that you see things as they really are. And the men and women who saw and heard Jesus when he walked among them trusted in their own light and their own wisdom. And they thought themselves wise and able to see and here's a hard saying of Jesus to those Pharisees and Sadducees who knew themselves to be right and Jesus to be a threat to them. Here's Jesus' words, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and they asked, well, are we blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see. So your guilt remains. And so I ask you, do you say, I see, I know, I understand, my mind is sufficient, my reasoning, my wisdom, my way of viewing things, I am sufficient to understand. Another term for that would be humanism or rationalism. It's the belief that man in himself is sufficient and has the ability to look at the world and comprehend it and understand it and explain it. And God has given us the gift of reason. 
But it is never meant by God for us to use that gift alone. So those who claim to see, Jesus says, are blind. They walk in darkness. The second thing that we notice in this text, though, is that the prophet Isaiah makes an announcement concerning a light. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them, a light has shone. God sends a light. It shines from outside. It doesn't come from within. It is not a matter of personal enlightenment. It is not a matter of achieving a higher level of consciousness. It doesn't derive or come from anything within you or me or from any man or group of men. But this light that is spoken of is the same that was spoken of by God in Genesis. Let there be light. And there was light. It comes from God. It is His gift. It is His revelation. Light is God's gift of revelation that comes from Him to you to illumine your blindness, to illumine your darkness. No eye has ever seen this, nor has any ear ever heard it, nor has any man ever imagined it. It is revealed and it is given from God Himself. It is, the Apostle Paul calls, divine wisdom, and it is divine knowledge. And it is for His glory, not man's. It is for God's glory, not yours. It is a wisdom decreed, however, for our glory. If we submit to His glory, then it is for our glory as well. This wisdom has not been understood, Paul tells us, by the wise of this age or by the rulers of this age, because it is beyond the reach of thinking or reasoning. It therefore requires of you and me humility when it comes to knowledge. Humility when it comes to light. And to acknowledge what the Pharisees were unwilling to acknowledge. That I in myself am blind. That I in myself, apart from God's miraculous revelation of himself to me, walk in darkness and I stumble and I fall. And so often I don't know where I'm going. And so that acknowledgement is the path of wisdom. It is the path of wisdom. Consider these words about God's wisdom and God's thoughts. In Isaiah chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God says. So important. Your thinking is limited by your finitude. Your mind is very, very small. And you can only go so far. And that especially becomes something that you are acutely aware of. Have you ever tried to solve a problem? Maybe it's a personal problem. Maybe it's someone that you're trying to talk to. Maybe it's someone that you love. And you try and you try and you try. 
And it seems no matter how you try to get at the issue, the other person just never sees it your way. And it's that way with us and God. God's mind is infinite. We are finite. We are small. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we see then that God's revelation is the thing. He reveals himself from outside. But not only does he reveal thoughts, but he reveals himself by his very presence. It's not merely a matter of changing our attitude to one of humility so that we receive the revelation of God as though it is something outside of us and abstract to us. But it is to know the very presence of God. And this is why it's such a beautiful thing to see. What John writes in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And later in his epistle, this is what John wrote again, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning this very word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father but was manifest to us. This Christ that was laid in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes the contents of those clothes was the very Son of God, was the very Word of God, made flesh, was made one of us. It is the very presence of God with us that we think about at this time of year. Where was Jesus brought up? We know he was born in Bethlehem, but where was he brought up? He was brought up in Nazareth, a nowhere town in a nowhere place, a place that everyone despised. And that's why Nathaniel responded the way he did. Where did Jesus begin his ministry? In Matthew's gospel, we're told these words, leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. By the sea. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shined. And then Matthew says this, And so that which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah was fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From this time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is Matthew doing there? 
He's taking your finger from Isaiah and he's pointing it right at Jesus Christ and he's saying, Jesus Christ is the light. And of course, Jesus identified himself as the light. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Jesus said, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. Jesus said in another place, while you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become the sons of light. And once again, I have come into the world as light. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Oh, do you see? Do you see? Now, how is it then that we become sons of light? Jesus said, whoever believes in me may not, will not remain in darkness. Are you a son or a daughter of light? Did you hear Jesus' words? While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. What does it mean to believe in the light? It is to believe in Jesus. And what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It means to be humbled, to acknowledge your blindness, your blindness in your evaluation even of your own sins. If I were to ask you, are you righteous? Most of you would no sooner admit to such a thing. What I, if I were to ask of you, have you committed sins against God? What would you say? To come to the light is to acknowledge that you have, that you have sinned against God and that you are ignorant even about your sins and what those sins mean. To come to the light means acknowledging that you can't see by your own light and that you yourself are spiritually blind. To come to the light and to believe in the light is to acknowledge the glory of God in the babe that is born in Bethlehem. It is to acknowledge the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, Thomas, when he heard, saw Jesus after the resurrection, what did he say? He bowed his head and he said, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Have you said those words to Jesus? Have you bowed before him, admitted what you are, who you are before him? If you were to do that, and you were to bow before this 
baby wrapped in a manger, wrapped in cloths and laid in a manger, if you were to bow before him and say, my Lord and my God, you who came to take my flesh, you who came so you could have a body, and you who took a body so that you could die, my Lord and my God, he came to us, to you. That would be the right way to celebrate Christmas, wouldn't it? That would be a wonderful thing. The light. Light always is emblematic of God's glory. And Jesus is that light. Are you drawn to him? Do you desire to know him? Do you want to know the glory of God? Do you want to know the revelation that comes from outside? A light that isn't coming from within you, isn't your own elevation in consciousness, isn't your finding something that someone is presenting as the secret to happiness. It is to bow before Jesus Christ and to say, my Lord and my God. You know, the moment that that happens, you know what the Bible calls that? Paul has a beautiful, there's a beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says this. And again, a reference to Genesis. Catch this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It is to be born again. It is to be so brought into the presence of Jesus who came as a babe that I bow before him and admit that I am blind. I bow before him and I admit that I am lost. I bow before him and admit that I am a creature. I am not self-sufficient and I have not been successful in solving my own problems. And we say to the Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and my God, and we place our trust in him. We Believe in him. Jesus said, come to the light while you have the light. Believe in me. Trust him. And that is the right way. That is the only path when we celebrate the coming of Christ at Christmas. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Help us, we pray. We are proud. We are resistant. Even at those times when we know that we are the object of your attention. Like Adam, we run and we hide in the bushes. Oh, oh God, how we might 
act differently if we knew that you had come to us in Christ for our sake and that you have loved us with an everlasting love and you are the good shepherd who has come to seek and to save the lost and that we can find life if we would but stop running and stop hiding and run into the arms of the one who became flesh so that we might do that. Oh God, may it be that you would do that in us, we pray. For we cannot do it in ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, join together, let's stand together and sing hymn number 299.